You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scars. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's to the cross and then they raised him up next to criminals it's Friday but let me tell you something Sunday's coming it's Friday the disciples are questioning what has happened to their king and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved but they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday, Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Father, 
We're so grateful that you're mindful of us, that you love us, and that love was demonstrated for us on a cross on that Friday. Father, thank you so much that you'd be willing to send your son to die for us and that he would walk this earth for 33 years and live a sinless life so the grave would not have a hold on him. Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the cries that went out, letting the disciples know about the empty tomb. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that Sunday is here. Amen. Sunday is here. Amen. So, greetings, everybody um, from the Middle East and European churches. Um, for, okay, first of all, Rhett, text me. Uh, kids' Kingdom is open and up and going if you want to take your kids to Kids' Kingdom. Okay, so. Um, and I hope everybody enjoyed the breakfast that had breakfast here. I want to thank Rhett and Martini and Jen. And everybody for holding down the fort while we were gone. Um, actually, we heard you did much better than that. So we think we're just going to take off and, you know, <laughs> here you go, bro. <laughs> um, but super grateful for the butlers and, uh, and all that they uh, do and how integral you guys have become to yes. South Bay Church. So we appreciate that and love you guys. It's awesome to have the Craigs here, both sets of Craigs. The whole fam. The, the New Jersey or New York Craigs and the California Craigs. Um, always good to have the Craigs in town. And, um, you know, it is. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. And, man, it would have been a huge drag if it had ended on that Friday, right? That would have been a big drag. Uh, but, but God didn't do that to us. God no. didn't do that to us. So I'll be sharing a little bit more about that later. But from the European and Middle East Conference, and honestly, I got to tell you, going in, we were a little beat up. I felt a little beat up spiritually. I don't know if anybody of you have ever felt that way at all. Uh, but, you know, it's like, <laughs> it started on December 29th. Yeah, it did. And since then, uh, ending with COVID on the way home from Turkey, it was like, this is a H-E double hockey stick. Heck I was going to say, it was the flight from hell. Yes. <laughs> so, but you know, God is good. Yeah. Our God is good all the time. That's what the Word of God says. And so um, the, the Middle East and European Conference, um, I, we went in a little beat up. I'll speak for myself. And it was all about building bridges. And the first lesson started off with, let's fight back with prayer. And that just really moved my heart. And then, it's a, and then the next um, talking point was, we are one nationality. And we have one passport. And uh, it was incredible to see the Russians and the Ukrainian brothers and sisters together worshiping mm. in church. Um, and how hard that was knowing that on both sides there's misinformation. Yeah. And, and that if there wasn't this mindset of we're going to, and this heart, that we're going to fight back with prayer and that we are of one nationality and that we, are of, we have one passport and that is in the kingdom of heaven, that would not be happening. And so um, we were asked, and just so you know, ooh, hi, Mom. Hi, Jer. Okay, so I'm going to say something, Mom. Don't freak out. Um, but there was an invitation and an ask for people to go to Ukraine and visit the church there. They said the Catholics have been there and the Baptists have been there, but they want 
our church family there. And so Steve and I, <laughs> my mom's going to kill me. Steve and I um, decided I that we are going to, um, by faith, either the end of this year, beginning of next year, whoever wants to go from Coastal, from the L.A. church, we're going to go visit the church in Ukraine because they really need the encouragement. So please be praying about that. And I got to be honest, um, first of all, I'm very, very patriotic. For those of you that don't know me well, I'm very patriotic. I don't know what that means to some people. That may be triggering, and I don't know what that means to everybody, but I know what it means to me. It means that my dad was in the military. He uh, was in the Air Force, and I'm proud to be an American. Um, but before I'm an American, right, before I'm an American, I am American. a disciple of Jesus. Amen. There is no, nothing more important and better than that. And I'm convinced the only reason that we are here in this country is because we have certain freedoms and we're to use those freedoms to reach a lost world. And that's why I didn't choose to be an American. I didn't, I was blessed to be born in this country. Yeah. But I will say this, it was good to be away from the U.S. churches. Yeah. Just for a bit. Amen. In all honesty. Um, because we just got a lot of junk. We have a lot of American junk and Christianity going on right now. And just church history junk. And it was just really good. And I love our church. I gave up everything to be in the ministry twice. Not just once, but like my brother told me, fool me once, shame on me. Fool, you, fool, you, fool me twice, shame on you, me, right? So that's what he said to me. Yeah, something like that. Thank you, Clay. Appreciate it, Clay. Either way, it wasn't a compliment. That was round two going into the ministry full time. But it was good to be with brothers and sisters of a different mindset who didn't have the, I don't know how else to put it, other than the U.S. Christian outlook. Um, and it was uh, very heart-moving and very spirit-led and, and very ministering to ministers yeah. uh, and it wasn't about um, method or system or falling back on but looking forward with faith being moved and in tune and in step with the Holy Spirit which we really needed I really needed because I really felt like we went up there uh, beat up a little bit and um so it was very faith-building. We'll share more as we continue. We brought back a lot of pictures. The brothers and sisters send their love. They are grateful for you. They are grateful for our church here and the way we've supported them uh, for years and years. And the Middle East churches are growing, and God is doing amazing things there um, because they are being led by the Spirit. And uh, Jesse and Wolfie send their love. They'll be here in May, which is great. We're going to have them all to ourselves in May which will be great to have them here. Um, and it was great to be able to get on our knees in the Coliseum and pray for the Craig family. And just one of the brothers uh, brought a guitar and broke out in worship. And so all these disciples are singing. Well, I'll send the video to you guys over email. But a video of Alan Gower playing his guitar in the Colosseum in Ephesus and uh, at, the, at the church that we were able to visit in Ephesus and uh, just to see God move with hundreds of disciples singing 
in this Colosseum where our Christian brothers and sisters once worshipped. So, amen. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Please continue to pray for us. Um, we are negative. We tested negative. We're not negative in general. We're generally positive people. But we tested negative. That's why we're here. That's why we're out. <laughs> Just wanted to reassure you of that, all right? I better go before I say something else. All right, love you guys. Amen. It's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, I've got all kinds of stuff to say about the churches, but I'll save it for another time. Um, it was very refreshing being there, though. The lessons that were taught felt like it was definitely nurtured in the process. And uh, there's something special about being able to visit. We visited six of the seven churches of Revelations, which uh, I'm an archaeology buff and an ancient history buff, so uh, you know, I was, I was uh, feasting big time as we had the opportunity to be a part of that. And if you have an opportunity to, Netflix uh, plug here, if you haven't watched Ottoman, The Ottoman Empire, Mehmed, The Conqueror, I read this book, 1453, that covers that period of time, the downfall of the Roman Empire as the Ottomans came in and uh, took over what was then Constantinople. The docu-series is very accurate and very entertaining. So anyway, freebie. But uh, happy Easter to everybody. Happy Resurrection Day, depending upon what you prefer there. And uh, it's great to see each and every one of you and those that are uh, watching at home. Thanks again to our tech team and our worship team. <laughs> every once in a while, that ghost gets into the machine, and these guys were scrambling. Our Wi-Fi connection went down, so we weren't able to broadcast. For those of you at home, sorry we we're a little late, but we're here nonetheless. Uh, number one here today, not, I don't have points. One of the first things I wanted to talk about uh, yeah, there we go. Can anybody tell me how the, well, with the exception of Devin Ketch and Brian Craig, and, and maybe Michael, um, I don't know if there's anybody else that I should exclude, and that doesn't mean that these guys are all that much smarter than you, even though they may be in some areas. Um, can anybody tell me how the date of Easter is determined? Oh, Sean, you had to go ruin it, maybe. Maybe, maybe, we'll, we'll see. Go ahead, brother. Okay, so how do they come up with the actual date? That's pretty much dead on. I'm so sorry I don't have a gift card to give you today, but uh, <laughs> it isn't. That pretty much nails it if you want a Reader's Digest version. I'm giving you sort of kind of a Reader's Digest version in that basically Easter falls on the first Sunday after the full moon date based on mathematical calculation that falls on at or after March 21st. Am I doing okay so far, brother? If the full moon is on a Sunday, Easter is celebrated on the following Sunday. Although Easter is related to the beginning of the spring in the northern hemisphere, March equinox, and the full moon, its date is not based on the actual astronomical date of either event. March 21st is the church's date of the March equinox, regardless of the time zone, while the actual date of the equinox varies between March 19th and March 22nd, and the date depends on the time zone. The date of the Paschal full moon used to determine the date of Easter is based on mathematical approximations, Jacqueline, following a 19-year cycle called the Metonic Cycle. Both dates may coincide with the dates of the astronomical events, but in some years they don't. 
There you go. I've been asked this. My wife's like, why are you doing this? Several of you have asked me, and I couldn't even give you as clear an answer as Sean did, so I figured I'd go down the rabbit rabbit hole a little bit. Aren't you glad I cleared that up? I aim to please. Well, today, though, I, in, a, in a much more serious note, we're here, and the significance of this day is because of what happened 2,000 years ago after a horrific death, beating and death on a cross, to a period of silence, and then ultimately to an open tomb, an empty open tomb, as a number of the women in the pre-church at that point went back to tell the disciples that Jesus was missing, Jesus was gone, Jesus had resurrected. And just thinking that through, what we do for communion every week is incredibly significant, but I think sometimes we, we miss the actual significance behind it, and it can become an afterthought. It's something that was very significant to Jesus, and with Jesus, it was connection. It was connection with his Father in heaven, it was connection with his disciples, and ultimately it would be a connection with us that was helped foster because of what he did and the Holy Spirit that we received through the waters of baptism. It started with what would be the final Passover with Jesus and his men, or what is known as the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, what we call communion. And to understand communion, the Last Supper, we need to understand a little bit about what the Passover meal is about, and I'll be weaving some of those facts into this overview of communion this morning. But thinking about this, communion is something that's been celebrated by Christianity over the last 2,000 years, one way or another. Some call it the Eucharist, others the Lord's Supper, others communion. It's a celebration that in a lot of ways when it comes to Christianity both unites and divides Christians. It expresses our common faith in Jesus Christ. At the same time, Various aspects of the communion ceremony have caused enormous controversy throughout the centuries. For example, when should it be celebrated? I mean, there are churches that do it once a year. There are churches that do it once a month. There are churches that do it daily. My take on it is that whenever two or more come together, if we want to have that degree of focus and break bread and take the wine in remembrance of Christ, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's something to be celebrated. And in the midst of the controversy, though, I think a lot of times it's easy to get sidetracked from the central message of the celebration, which is Jesus' death, but more significantly and more importantly, his resurrection from the dead, which was witnessed not only by his guys, but as we see in the book of Acts, by over 500 people that he came into contact with after he rose from the dead. And that that resurrection, that resurrected life is the central message of this celebration. Jesus', Jesus sacrificial death and life-giving resurrection. See, communion is fundamentally all about Jesus. Title of the message this morning, maybe we get it up there on the screen. If not, you guys can forward for it. There we go. Title of the message this morning is The Next Supper. And focusing on Jesus, I think, in light of these distractions, it's super significant. And you'll get a little bit of an idea as to what the next supper is all about as we go through this. But Jesus instituted communion as a way for his disciples to remember his death and sacrifice and resurrection. And its core, communion is a celebration, a remembrance, a proclamation of Christ's death. It reminds us and it declares to those that are partaking in the Lord's Supper that Christ was with us. Christ died for us, 
and Christ is now alive working in us. You know, as Jackie stated, one of the things that was probably the most emotional for me at the conference was hearing about the Ukrainians and the Russians coming together because, as you know, the Russians don't have what one would call um, real news. You know, I mean, we talk about fake news here. You want to talk about fake news, it's a whole other level in Russia. And there was a brother that made some comments to a Ukrainian about why Russia was doing what it was doing. And, that you know, and, and we've got disciples that have family members on both sides of that border. They have family in the, there's Russians that have families in the Ukraine, Ukrainians that have families in Russia. And I appreciate Mofid. I mean, when he said bridge conference, he meant bridge conference, and it was getting everybody involved. And there were people that questioned his wisdom on inviting the Russians and Ukrainians there. And there was really thought that it, it could be very, very problematic. But one of the most moving things for me was seeing these Russian brothers and sisters hugging Ukrainian brothers and sisters, and it was through tears. And that is the power of the blood of Christ. Right. It doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't matter where you live. None of those things have any value whatsoever other than knowing because Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died for each and every one of us, and rose from the dead, we have the opportunity to be united because of that blood of Christ and have the opportunity, despite where we've been born, to spend eternity in one place with each other because of that sacrifice. You know, as we uh, read about the way Jesus described communion and the meaning, he actually uh, talks about it. It's talked about in three of the Gospels. Matthew 26, 26 through 28, Mark 14, 22 through 24, Luke 22, 14 through 20. And Paul talks about it in one of his letters to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11. And... Um, this Easter Sunday, I want to focus on what I felt was one of the more thorough descriptions of the Lord's Supper, which comes out of Luke. And this next supper is the thing that would actually usher in a new covenant, this time with Jesus and his guys. Luke 22, verse 14 through 20. When the time came for Jesus and the apostles to eat, he said to them, I have very much wanted to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat another Passover meal until it's finally eaten in God's kingdom. Jesus took a cup of wine in his hand and gave thanks to God. Then he told his apostles, take this wine and share it with each other. I tell you that I will not drink any more wine until God's kingdom comes. Jesus took some bread in his hand and he gave thanks. He broke the bread and handed it to the apostles. And I do want a, a little side note here because this is something that I think within the religious society, Christianity... There's, there's some nomenclature that's used that's just a tad off. And I, I'm, I'm blanking on the psalm off the top of my head, but when it comes to Jesus' body on that cross, you know, Jesus talks about breaking the bread or tearing the bread or sharing the bread, which is a, is a symbol of his body, but his body was not broken. And we hear that from time to time. You know, when we take the, the uh, bread and the wine... This is symbolic of Jesus' broken body on the cross. His body was not broken. A bone was not broken. When it came to the point in time that he died on the cross, the uh, centurions that were in, in, on basically taking care of that whole situation with the crucifixion, they broke the legs of the two criminals on either side of them. And the reason for that is so you can't push up off your feet to inhale. 
So by breaking their legs, they were no longer able to inhale and would expedite their death. With Jesus, the centurion noticed that he was already dead. So they took a, they took a spear and punched it through his ribs, which we know at that point in time, it punctured the pericardium. He was dead. Water and blood came out of that uh, as he was pierced with the spear. So a little side note there. So he broke the bread and handed it to the apostles. Then he said, this is my body, not my broken body. This is my body, which is given for you. Eat this as a way of remembering me. And after the meal, he took another cup of wine in his hands. And then he said, this is my blood. It is poured out for you. And with it, God makes his new agreement. Everything today, unless I state otherwise, is coming out of the uh, CEV, Contemporary English Version. So in the NIV, it talks about this is the new covenant. It's an agreement. So we see that communion was initiated during the Jewish Passover celebration, which Jesus said to them in Luke 22, verse 15, I have very much wanted to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. And I, I would imagine that may have raised eyebrows a little bit at that point in time. And then I'm, I'm sure when these guys got together... It wasn't a whole lot different from the family meals that we have together. You know, there's, there's good times. There's, you're talking about life, how things have been going. There can be good, there can be, get, there can be bad, there's joking around. I love getting together for, with family. And invariably, we end up talking about the two things you should never talk about, which is church and politics. And I'm sure this was going on back then. I'm sure they were talking about the synagogue and politics, or the temple and politics. That suffering, though, we know was something that didn't register in light of how his disciples responded to things, even to the point in time he was resurrected at the end of John, where they get together for that another, they get together for another meal. But through all this, the Passover was celebrated every year by the people of Israel to remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, Exodus 12. In his last supper with the disciples, Jesus symbolically interprets or reinterprets many of the elements of this meal to convey a deeper understanding of the purpose of his death and the next supper after that and the next supper and the next supper and the next supper every time we get together to commemorate what he did for us. So it's just as God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, so it's Jesus' sacrificial death brings us deliverance from the slavery of sin. And just as the Passover was a time of blessing and giving thanks, communion is a time of blessing and giving thanks for that deliverance today as well. Verse 17 says, Jesus took a cup of wine in his hands and gave thanks to God. Then he told his apostles, take this wine and share it with each other. So during the traditional Passover, there were a number of cups of wine, uh, which I didn't really notice this until actually putting this together, uh, that there are multiple times in the course of that meal that they had wine. Uh, you can take that for whatever you want. I definitely do not have a problem with more a glass or two of wine during a meal. But thinking this through, this first one is called the cup of blessing. And at the, his last supper with his disciples, Jesus took this cup and gave thanks. And I think, again, it's just this reminder for us that communion should remind us of the blessing we have received in Christ and it's something to be grateful for and give thanks. And a lot of times, because of time, the way things work out, we move through it very quickly. But I think we've got to make sure that we don't get caught up in you know, our present-day society and the time in which we do things, but we do take time to pause and think about the significance behind what's in this. You know, the bread and the grape juice that represents the wine. And that we are grateful and we give thanks. 
Next, we have the bread, the unleavened bread that was broken, representing Jesus' body, which I hopefully just cleared up a little bit about whether or not his body, there were any broken bones or not. But in verse 19, it says, Jesus took some bread in his hands and gave thanks for it. He broke the bread and he handed it to his apostles. And then he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this as a way of remembering me. So in Exodus, again, the children of Israel were told only to eat unleavened bread during the Passover. All leaven had to be completely cleared out of the house. And what, what they're equating leaven to here is sin. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul says, Get rid of the old yeast, then you will be fr like fresh bread made without yeast, and this is who you are. So in the previous verse in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's describing sin in the church as leaven. Sin's a contaminant. And if sin is allowed to continue without being addressed or dealt with, it's got to be removed because otherwise there's the potential for it to infect the entire batch. You know, and uh, Andy can attest to this. Uh, some of you make sourdough bread. You know what you do. You keep a little piece. It's got the yeast of a particular strand, strain, and you put it back into the next mix, and, you know, it, it ends up getting throughout the entire loaf. Well, Paul's, this was significant to people back then because they made bread. They made their bread. Yeast was significant. But Paul's really wanting them to understand how incredibly damaging sin can be. So he breaks it all down with something that they can deal, understand when it comes to these fermenting agents that are bread that would spread throughout the new dough. So regarding the church, Paul was concerned that a small sinful influence could grow and become universally and potentially contaminate the whole church. So in preparation for the celebration, Jews would scour their homes, remove any, lint of, uh, any hint of leaven, probably any lint too, but they would make and eat instead unleavened bread. And in addition, they would sacrifice a Passover lamb and put its blood on the doorpost before eating it. So Paul puts the Corinthian Christians in the place of the Passover dough. He says they must cleanse out all the old leaven and become a new unleavened piece of dough. Then Paul says something kind of su surprising here. And then in verse 7, that basically they are already unleavened dough. And that is what each and every one of us are. This is true because of Christ, the Passover lamb. Jesus was sacrificed on a cross to pay for their sin, to pay for our sin. And that leaven had already been removed from them. This is who we are through the waters of baptism. Amen. That sin, that leaven was washed away. Our sins were washed away. But Paul was encouraging them to live up to what they already are, which is purified before Christ, before God. They're forgiven. They're set apart people of Christ. Amen. So how do we do this? Jack, do you want to come up now? Or? Okay. <laughs> so then Jesus broke the unleavened bread at Passover, signifying the sacrifice of the sinless life on our behalf. Bread is a source of life, sustenance. Jesus described himself as being just that in John 6, verse 48. So, spiritually speaking, we believe in Jesus. We participate and partake of his sinless life. And with Christ in us, we live forever. You know, we continue to grow. We continue to mature. We continue to look to Christ and each other, encouraging each other to become more and more like Jesus. So just through our conduct, we're a light. We don't even have to open our mouths, but because of our conduct, we're an influence in people's lives today. So back to the uh, Passover in Luke 22, verse 20. 
And this is where that additional cup of wine was shared representing Jesus' blood in verse 20. It says, after the meal, he took another cup of wine in his hands, and then he said, this is my blood. It is poured out for you, and with it, God makes his new agreement. So traditionally, in the Passover meal, participants drank a cup of wine called the cup of redemption, and then, as a reminder of the blood of the unblemished lamb that was sacrificed by each one of the families during the Passover night, which enabled the Israelites to escape death, Exodus 12, if this blood of the lamb was painted on the doorpost of the Israelite home, the angel of death passed by that home, and that family was delivered from death. So the communion cup, again, represents the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, John 1, verse 29. So what did that sacrifice do? We know what it did. It took away the sins of the world, right? It preserves us from death in the righteous judgment of what we deserve based on our conduct. Jesus paid the price for our salvation. And again, I can't, I can't make this point enough that communion is a celebration of the new covenant. It's celebratory. We need to be joyful about it. We need to be able to rejoice that this is something we can participate in. The cup is the new covenant in blood which is poured out for you, Luke 22, verse 20 in the NIV. So thinking about communion, it's best understood within the biblical concept of a covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. This is something that was usually, usually solemnized with different signs and or symbols or seals. Covenants were common in the ancient world, and God used this cultural practice when he made binding promises, some that required serious commitments from his people. And here's some of those, here's some of those images. Some of the symbols are imagery from those ancient covenants. We have the rainbow. What's the significance? Maybe I can get one of you. <laughs> it's a promise. It's a covenant. Michael? Yeah, the, the, that flood that destroyed all of evil mankind, that was it. It would never happen again. Animals being sacrificed. Recitations of blessings and curses. Covenant meals. Memorials. I mean, what is baptism? Isn't that a symbol? What does Romans 6 tell us? It is a symbol. It's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which we participate in as we're lowered into the waters, burial, come out of the waters, resurrection, resurrected to a new life. It's a symbol, but it's crazy significant, right? Because that's at the point in time we enter that covenant with God. You know, it's interesting. In verse 5, not in Romans 6, not something we spend a lot of time on, but it talks about how as Jesus was resurrected that certainly we will be resurrected into life as well by that participation in that water baptism. So using these symbols and reminders of Old Testament, uh, Old Testament covenants, Jesus instituted a new covenant in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So this, this whole thing about, wow, remembering their sins no more. Okay, I just broke the whole thing. Um, remembering their sins no more. I don't know about you, but if I just meditate on that and think about that, that is just blow away to me. And I remember we were baptized December 10th of 1990, a long time ago. Yes, December 10th of 1990. And I remember, you know, and we had been coming to church for a little while. I came to church and then um, I brought Steve to church reluctantly. Just go ahead and say it, babe. I'm your fruit. He's my fruit. Um, And um, (laughs) anyway, um, and I remember our bat. We had been coming to church for a little while, like I don't know, a couple months off and on, or I had been coming for like a couple months off and on. And then we started studying the Bible, and we started studying on a Monday, and then we got baptized the following Monday. We just took off work and studied every night because once I realized I wasn't a, I mean, I knew I wasn't a Christian, right? But what, what did you tell your mom? Hey, mom. <laughs> what I told my mom, I said, oh, I came home from. <laughs> from the first study and I said I don't know what the heck these priests have been teaching us but we're all going to hell and we got to get it on straight and as you can imagine that was super effective and helpful um it's only God that you made it let's just put it out there yes yes so and I know you know there's things obviously that we could have done better in the church and we're continuing to grow and learn but you know what God's word does not return empty and um God used those studies at that time to help me become a disciple. But anyway, this, uh, and I remember as we're in the Teague's living room <clears throat> with about 20 disciples and we're singing and we're praying. And in his prayer, the minister at the time, he said, not only God will you forgive your, their sins, but you will remember their sins no more. And I was like, I had never heard that before. And I grew up, I went to parochial school. Like, we were all in. We were, like, like bothersome all in. Like, every Sunday, even on vacation, we had to find a church somewhere to go to church. And, um, I, yeah, so, and I thought, I've never heard that. And I remember right after that prayer, before I was even baptized, I went up to Bruce and I said, Bruce, where is that in the Bible? Like, you got to, where is that passage in the Bible? Mm. Because there were so many things, there was one thing in particular that I was so ashamed of, that I felt so ashamed of. You know, you grow up, you say you're not going to do things, right? I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do this with my, like my parents did, right? Or I'm never, now I'm like, my mom's the most awesome woman in the world. Um, True. I mean, she put up with me and raised me, so she's got to be pretty awesome. <laughs> but um, there were just things that, that I was ashamed of, that I swore I would never do. And I grew up knowing. It wasn't like I grew up without God. I grew up knowing, and I still chose to do those things. And I remember when Bruce said that, not only will God forgive my sins, but this is what the cross does. This is what communion is. It puts us in this right relationship with God, where God goes, 
I don't even remember that about you, that thing that you were so ashamed of. Each of you probably thought of one thing that came to your mind when I said that, that there's this one thing that I was so ashamed of. For me, it was that I had an abortion when I was 16 years old. I swear I would never, something I swear I would never do. So when he said that God wouldn't even remember it, forgiveness I understand. Forgiveness I grew up understanding. But to not remember it, that is our God. And that is what communion is. And that is what, that is what we celebrate when we celebrate a risen Christ. We celebrate that God, as we remember the cross and are grateful for the cross, he says, I don't remember any of your sin. Satan could come up here and accuse me right now, or you guys could accuse me of things. I'm sure there are things we're being accused of. There of things that mistakes I've made and done, and they would be true, some of them. I'm sure. But God goes, I mean, as humans, we're not good at not keeping a record of wrong. No. We're not good at that. I'm not good at that. For me, the hardest person to forgive is Steve. Right? (laughs) It's true because he's the one who can hurt me the most. Right? Or my kids. These are the people. We're not good at not keeping a record of wrong. Even when we fight to forgive. But God goes, it's as if it was never even done. Amen. Wrap your brain around that. And go, amen, thank God for the resurrected Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, babe. For those of you who wanted to know that verse, again, it was out of Jeremiah 31, verse 34. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So in contrast to the Old Testament covenant of works, This uh, new covenant is unconditional, as Jackie talked about. It's undeserved. It's nothing that we can do to warn it one way or the other. It's a covenant of grace, and it's made possible because of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, his sinless life, and ultimately his resurrection. Jesus' actions at the Last Supper drew on important elements of biblical symbolism to convey God's divine truth, and it directs us to the next supper imagery and symbolism, which this is, in, this is super important when it comes to communicating the truth. It's a form of st- storytelling, in a lot of ways like the parables, which can help us with our perception. As men and women, we have multiple senses. Our brains are wired to receive information through sight, taste, touch, sound, all of which are accompanied by action. And because of our multi-sensory perception, we remember, we remember best when information is provided as, to us in more than just one of those formats. So listening to a sermon is one way of remembering God's word through our sense of hearing. In communion, however, we're invited to participate in a symbolic drama that communicates truth through sight, sound, taste, touch, and our own active participation along with the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute. All of our sensors are involved in this divine drama that communicates eternal truth. 
this active participatory event can have a powerful impact on our lives if we remember Christ's sacrifice together and the spirit of which we've received. Communion is not an empty ritual. It should never be taken for granted. And I personally believe we need to be careful, though, because sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, we can go through the motions. You know, we, we, we know we have this thing. It's like we peel it back once, take out the bread, we peel it back again, we drink the wine. But are we really thinking through beyond the container that we've been given as to what the significance is of what it is that's inside it? Again, it's not an empty ritual. And as we participate by faith in the Lord's Supper, God can move through these symbols and remind us of his presence. You know, sometimes you wonder why maybe you're not as strong as you'd like to be spiritually. I personally believe this is one aspect of things on a Sunday that can either set you up for a great week and strengthen you, or if you're not really paying attention to the significance of this, set you up for a week just like any other week that you just kind of go through the motions with. We've got to be careful. Again, God can move through these symbols and remind us of his presence to strengthen and encourage us by consistency, continuity, and ultimately his grace. Back to Luke 22, verse 19. What I want you to do with me this morning is let's do this together. I know sometimes this rattling can be, you know, a little uh, disconcerting. Let's go ahead and rattle all at the same time or crinkle, or whatever it is, the uh, particular sensory aspect of this that you experience when you try and peel back, sometimes, for me, very ineffectively, the cover. We all have it out? Are we, some of you still need it? Got a couple. Go ahead and keep your hands up. We've got a couple over here. You know, I personally prefer the old days. I guess I'm a little bit of a uh, traditionalist when it came to the trays with the wine and then the trays with the bread. And, you know, maybe we get far enough removed from COVID and you guys feel good about it, we'll reintroduce those. But I personally prefer that. So everybody have their bread. Hold it up. Okay, we understand the significance behind this, right? In Luke uh, 22, verse 19, it says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. The reason they broke it was a bigger piece, and they passed it around. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we take this next supper this morning, I want you to dwell on this for a moment. Remember his life. Remember his death. Remember the cross. Now the empty tomb, the resurrection, the hope and eternity and peace that comes through that forgiveness. As you hold on to this bread, I want you to think about it for a minute. How have these things that we've talked about today affected your life? Then remember his promise to come back. Do this in remembrance of me. What does that mean to you? Contemplate on those things for a minute and give thanks and then take it.
Verse 20. After the meal, he took another cup of wine in his hands, and then he said, This is my blood. It is poured out for you, and with it, God makes this new agreement. So as we have this fruit from the grape that God created, it's symbolic of Jesus' blood for us that was shed for us. Take a moment to reflect and pray about the significance of this day and the agreement that we've entered into through the waters of baptism. And this next moment of thanksgiving and gratitude, remember his life, remember his death, remember the cross, remember the empty tomb, and how all these things have affected your life. Remember his promise to come back and the covenant, this new agreement we entered into when we made Jesus Lord of our lives. Contemplate on these things, give thanks, and let's drink this cup together on this Easter Sunday morning. And the next time we get together, I hope and pray that we'll be able to just kind of remember what we did here together, what we saw visually, what we heard, what we tasted, and just the significance of participating in this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. With that, God bless. Happy Easter. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.